A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special. And they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I think that the most significant moment for me throughout the campaign was we got endorsed by Ben and Jerry, the owners, the founders, Ben Cohen and, and Jerry, not the corporation. So we got their endorsement along with Move On. And so Ben Cohen came out to do an ice cream giveaway. And there was a mother who came to the ice cream social and she came with her child. And her child was not older than four and wanted to introduce themselves and to share their pronouns and and asked me directly, are you a person that supports who I am because again this child is transgender this is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right you're listening to Pantsy Politics no shouting no insults plenty of nuance Welcome to Friday's episode of Pantsuit Politics. Today we are going to do some news. There's been a lot of news about Michael Flynn and the Trump Foundation. So that's where we're going to focus today. Then we are going to share some more candidate follow-ups. Today you're going to hear from Amy McGrath, who we met at Panera. And it was a super fun opportunity to spend time with her. Mary Throne, who ran for governor in Wyoming. And Stephanie Rose Spalding, who ran for Congress in Colorado. So we're excited to share those follow-ups with you in the second part of the show. But before we dive in, we have some exciting news. Sarah, do you want to share the exciting news? Yes, because I'm the marcher of this group. We are coming to the Women's March in January in Washington, D.C. Not only are we going to be at the march, but we are planning a very, very special event the Friday before the march on Saturday. 
we have some truly amazing guests that we're going to be talking with and having a conversation with and interviewing. It will all be turned into content for the podcast, but there's going to be a pretty extensive conversation live in D.C. So if you're on the fence about coming to Washington, D.C., I hope this will push you right over into buying that ticket and coming to join us for the march. It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. But first, we've got to talk about Michael Flynn. It's been a big week for Michael Flynn. The day before his sentencing hearing was scheduled, two of his associates were indicted in the Eastern District of Virginia. I think what is becoming really confusing is that we have kind of all these things under the umbrella of the Mueller investigation, but Robert Mueller has not contained everything under his umbrella. He has been very strategic about what he is going to pursue versus what regular old federal prosecutors are going to pursue in the relevant jurisdictions. And so while Robert Mueller probably got all of the facts leading to these indictments, they are being pursued by the Department of Justice in the Eastern District of Virginia. Can I give this a Sarah spin? Yes, please. What she means is that Mueller has uncovered so much widespread criminal activity within the Trump administration, he had to pass off some of the work to other lawyers in other parts of the country. Sorry, that's my spin. Well, I also think there is an element of insurance policy because what has happened now is whether the president fires Robert Mueller or not, the train has left the station. Yep. And the work is going to continue. There is not a way to shut this down at this point. Mm-hmm. So the short version of what's happening in the Eastern District of Virginia with Flynn Associates, you can hear the long version on the Nightly Nuance on Patreon, is that this arises from Flynn's consulting group, which he had while he was campaigning with Donald Trump. And he was doing work for the Turkish government through like kind of another business, but his real client was Mm -hmm. the Turkish government. And he had not disclosed that, and he had not identified himself as a lobbyist for the Turkish government. And what really got him in trouble here and what kind of put the spotlight on this work is that he wrote an op-ed about how the United States ought to extradite a Turkish cleric who's living in exile in the United States. And that made everybody go, why does Michael Flynn care about that? Because that op-ed was published the day before the presidential election in 2016, and it just seemed way out of left field. It's because it didn't have anything to do with his campaigning for Donald Trump and had everything to do with him using the high profile he had achieved for himself as an associate of that campaign to make money as a consultant. And so Flynn has been cooperating with prosecutors, has given him lots of information, and the two people who were part of that consulting engagement, if one can call it that, were interviewed about it, lied to the government. Can't lie to the government. Why do they keep doing that? I'm so confused. Yeah. Can't lie to the government. It seems to me that at some point, if you just are a practiced liar, you forget, I can't do this with the government as well. But anyway, they lied to the government. They never properly registered to do the work that they were doing. And so that is what they've been indicted for in Virginia. The strange thing is, all that's related to Turkey, not Russia. And Michael Flynn was indicted for lying about contacts with Russia. 
And so this whole chapter has reminded me that there's still so much that we don't understand. I think because the breadth and scope of, again, I'm just going to call it criminal activity, is so big, seeing a piece at a time in the way we have been through these indictments is, I mean, it's um, it almost makes it so confusing. It's like that, that story where the different faiths are describing the elephant. <laughs> I feel like there's an elephant in the room we all can't see. We're just like seeing a piece of the trunk or a piece of the ear or a piece of the leg. Like we are, I, I, I'm anxious to see the entire elephant. It's also possible that it's not an elephant. It's an elephant and a giraffe and a monkey. And it's just that like mm-hmm. you have all these people who through different channels, consistently put their self-interest ahead of everything else and in the process did a whole bunch of unrelated crimes. It may be that the pieces don't connect, you know? Yeah. They connect because they're all related to Trump. That's right. Right? That it, It's his zoo. <laughs> it's like a bunch of different animals all rolling up to his zoo. That's exactly right. So the other thing that happened this week is that Michael Flynn did go in front of a federal judge for his sentencing hearing. So you'll remember he pled guilty and has been cooperating with the Mueller team. And the Mueller team filed a very long, heavily redacted memo about his cooperation and recommended that he get a very light sentence. But the federal judge in the case is not bound by what the Mueller team recommends. And he seemed not pleased with that recommendation. He, in a very unusual move, put Michael Flynn under oath and said, I got some questions for you. And what really seemed to set him off, in addition to Michael Flynn's conduct, which in the course of the hearing, he asked if prosecutors had considered whether Michael Flynn had committed treason. Woo! And, you know, listen, federal judges are not known for being loose with their words. So it's a big deal that he asked that question. And he kind of walked that back later. He was like, I'm not saying that I think he committed treason. I just want to know if you considered it. I also think this is a judge who's been on the bench a long time. He's 71 years old. And I think that during the breaks, he realized that every word he spoke was being splattered all over social media and that it was important to kind of keep control of what was happening. But anyway, what really seemed to set him off is that Michael Flynn's lawyers wrote a sentencing memo urging the judge to take his long career, his his service to the United States into account, his cooperation with prosecutors, and saying, and by the way, like he only a little bit lied because he wasn't aware that he was being questioned by the FBI. I thought that was the dumbest excuse I've ever heard that you didn't know you were being questioned by the FBI. What part of that was confusing? The FBI agents or the questions they were asking? I'm so puzzled by that excuse. They're trying to make it sound like everybody in the highest levels of government just hang out and yeah, they just chat. totally normal for them to stop by and say, hey, did you chat with the Russian ambassador? And I think they were also just trying to insinuate that the FBI agents had bad intent. And they were really clearly playing to the president, to the Sean Hannity's of the world. You know, Peter Strzok is like a trigger word for that section of society. Right. And, and they were just trying to say, like, these weren't the best FBI agents on Earth, and they were out to get us. And so he was basically entrapped. And the judge did not appreciate that, not even one little bit. Yeah, entrapped by his own house of lies. Well, the judge 
kept emphasizing how disgusted he was that Michael Flynn lied to the FBI in the White House. It was almost like he was saying, did you have any respect for the job you were in and the place you were in and the responsibility entrusted to you by being in this place? And did you not understand that federal agents don't just casually ask questions like this and that your Mm -hmm. obligation, even if they were just casually asking questions, was to be on the same team as them and tell the truth? And I have to tell you that on two levels, I'm so grateful for this judge. The first level is protecting our criminal justice system, because you should not plead guilty if you don't believe you're guilty. And he was making sure that Michael Flynn, as a defendant, knew exactly what he was doing and what the possibilities ahead for him were. And on the second level, I just feel like this judge did a public service by shutting down that whole entrapment argument from a public relations standpoint. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, you know, like you said, he's a federal judge. He's been on the bench for a long time. And he saw the bigger picture and the impact of this in a really important way. So the result is that Michael Flynn was not sentenced. The hearing has been pushed out into March. I don't know if Michael Flynn thinks that he can do more things between now and then to help the government to, you know, get more sympathy from the judge about his sentence um, or if they'll try to retract his plea or, you know, what will happen between now and then. But the judge gave him that opportunity, and I think that was the right thing to do. We also wanted to talk about the, I don't know, I don't know when Blockbuster applies anymore because it seems like all this stuff is so big and would be a Blockbuster in any other universe. But in the universe we're currently living, I'm not quite sure when to use the word Blockbuster. But anyway, the news that the Trump Foundation is being dissolved because, surprise, it wasn't really a charitable organization. I mean, I think that's probably a fair assessment, don't you? Yes. it's It seems objectively true that money was not flowing to charities from the Trump Foundation. No. They basically said it, they were using it as a checkbook for political and business purposes to just pass out money that way, which, newsflash, is really not the purpose <laughs> of a nonprofit charitable foundation that avoids, oh, little things like taxes. And that's what's so gross about it. There are lots of ways to avoid taxes. And I think Trump gets a pass often from people about avoiding taxes because a lot of Americans have that sense of like, yeah, of course, you pay as little tax as possible. That's everybody's goal. No big deal. But like there are special purpose vehicles that get set up. There are lots of legal ways to avoid taxes when you have as much money as Donald Trump had. To use a charitable foundation and all of the social capital attached to a charitable foundation I think that's pretty low. Well, and I think that what they were doing has to be pretty egregious for him to just take the hit and dissolve it and not fight back because we all know that's his favorite strategy. I think they have to wind it down. They said they were going to wind it down when he first went into office. But then the New York attorney general said, no, you will not. You will keep it open because we are investigating it. Because we have some questions. And now they are going to be dissolving it under the kind of jurisdiction of the New York Attorney General's office. So I'm not sure that they have a lot of options at play here. And we did have a listener email and ask us, why aren't there criminal charges? And this is a criminal proceeding. I think, I don't know if you mean you want them in jail. I think what the AG is looking for is some of the money back. And so the charges are criminal, but the punishment might not be jail, I guess is the easy answer to that question. 
So they're looking to get restitution, which does mean exactly what Sarah said, give this money back of $2.8 million. They're looking for additional monetary penalties. And then they are looking to ban Trump himself from service as a director of any New York nonprofit for 10 years. And they're looking to ban Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric from serving on any nonprofit's board for one year. Yeah, that's bananas. And it just kind of takes my breath away to think, like, we can't trust these people to serve on the board of a nonprofit, but they're in the White House. Whoa. Yeah, that that should turn out well. You know what? It reminds me of something I've been thinking about all week, because as I've been doing this research about Michael Flynn, I've been just Googling people trying to figure out who these folks are. One of the defendants in the Virginia case that we just talked about was on the Trump transition team. So this tiny universe is threaded together in so many ways. The transition team, not to be confused with the inaugural committee, which is also under investigation. Right. And when I was doing this research, I kept finding things where it was clear that members of Congress had a lot of this information. There were members of Congress also looking into the activities of the guy who was indicted in the Eastern District of Virginia, who had been working with Michael Flynn, going back like a year. And it's made me realize that I think with the Trump Foundation, with the Mueller investigation, with all of the lawsuits being filed elsewhere, our elected officials know so much more than they've ever talked about Mm -hmm. and have abdicated a lot of their responsibilities to the judiciary. And now the judiciary is going to come in and in a slow and expensive and highly punitive way, in many cases, is going to be cleaning this up. And that is because of the ridiculous partisanship that has been in place for the past couple of years. And it's just, it's a real travesty. And I think lots of people are going to live to regret that because honestly, if Congress had stepped up a year ago, I think the consequences would have been so much more palatable for many of these characters. Yep. Okay, well, we're going to shift gears a bit. And next up, we're going to be sharing some of our follow-up interview with candidates that we spoke to during the midterm elections. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. 
This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. We are here with our favorite friend of the pod, Amy McGrath, and Panera. So y'all hear some background music. We decided to come meet you in person. We're so excited you came and sat down and had coffee. We've had an amazing conversation, which we did not record. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but we did want to check in and see how you're doing, what you learned, let our yeah. listeners hear from you, because you were we were all rooting for you in the Fancy Politics family. Wow, there's so much I learned. Um, you know, I'm really glad I did it. Uh, there is still a lot of excitement there. Mm-hmm. We, we, we pulled people out of the woodwork who um, were not engaged in the political process, who are now engaged. We excited a lot of people and gave them hope. And mm-hmm. for that, I'm enormously proud. And, um, you know, and I think that that's, that's really something and an important part um, of what I learned. And, you know, I learned a lot about politics and, and uh, negativity and lies along the way as well, um, which are, are unfortunate. So, uh, you know. Well, I will have to tell y'all, since we've been sitting here, we've had literally the entire spectrum of a group of police officers who wanted their picture with her and a mother with two adorable small children. So when she says she engaged all types, we have witnessed that firsthand in the Panera, for sure. So what would you say to women considering public office right now? Continue to pursue it. Like any goal, make sure that um, you have a plan. And if it's in your heart, do it. I mean, I don't, I don't have 
there isn't and yes the loss was tough for me and we lost by three um, but there isn't really a morning where I wake up and say why well, I wish I wouldn't have done this mm. I'm glad that I did it women again we're not in these elected offices largely because we don't run Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we need to run. Yep. What do you hear in the national conversation about the midterms that you think misses something important? I think people focus on a lot on whether we won or not. And not a whole lot of people are focusing on the amount of energy yep. that we created and, and that we got people into a process who had never voted before. We got uh, young people who come up to me who say that uh, they wouldn't have registered to vote if, if I wasn't the candidate. You know, so I feel really good about that and my hope is that we continue that because it's so important, particularly for the younger generations because I'm very worried that they are just going to be disconnected, feel like they don't have a voice, feel like their vote doesn't matter, and become this word that I can't stand, which is indifferent. Mm -hmm. And so my feeling is, you know, even if you, you believe in something, you know, and you're on the far right or the far left and you believe in it, fine. The people that really bother me as an American and as somebody who fought for my country are the people who I don't even want to say they're in the middle. They're not in the middle. Mm-hmm. We talk about being in the middle. It's not in the middle. It's the people who are indifferent, yeah. who have thrown up their hands and have said, it doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. My energy doesn't matter. That I really wanted to target them as, as much as I could. And I think we did a really good job in that. And it's not talked about, you know, how do we how do we continue that momentum of getting people involved, um, informed? Because look, look, we didn't win. It was an R plus 16 district. We came within three. It's amazing. Had it been an R plus 12 district, we would have won. Tell you know? us what. Tell them what you told us about the R10s and who who won across the nation. Well, there were there were really. The line seems to be at R plus 10. So basically, if you're in an R plus 10 or below district, meaning more um, purple as opposed to red, you had a really good shot of winning and um, across the country. If you were in R plus 10 or above, you basically could have been a great candidate, but you, you just didn't win. I mean, that seemed to be the cutoff. There were two exceptions, one in Oklahoma and one in South Carolina. Joe Cunningham in South Carolina won in an R plus 13 district. He's a Democrat, but he also won in a district that had an open Open seat, seat. not an incumbent. I'm not sure about the one in Oklahoma. But that that R plus 10 is really was where the line was drawn. And so here, here in Kentucky 6, this was R plus 16. So, you know, yes, we had a lot of hope and it was a toss-up and, and all of that, and it, it's devastating to lose. But then when you look nationwide, you're like, oh, we did pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. For, for, you know, we, we got within three and in, in, in a district that is fairly red. That's something. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take away the heartache of, of losing when you put 110% into it. Look, running for office is a lot like being an athlete being an athlete at the highest level. Yeah. Division one sports, NCAA or something like that where you put your whole life into it and you get to the very, very end, the championship. 
you know, and you come up short. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to take home that trophy. And you work just as hard as the other team, but you don't get to take home the trophy. You know, I mean, that's, that's, it's a lot like that. Mm-hmm. But, and, and people criticize, right? Yeah. All of the people who are the spectators. Oh, you should have done that. Or, oh, you should have yeah. done that. You know, and the, the sportscasters and all that stuff. Yeah. They are not the ones in the arena. Mm-hmm. They are not the ones, you know, as Teddy Roosevelt said, with the blood and the sweat. And the, yep. and the, you know, they are not the ones. They have no idea what it's like. And um, you have to decide, if you're looking to run for office, you have to decide, am, am, am I the person that has the courage, the guts, to be the person in the arena mm-hmm. and know what that means. Yep. I think that's something that I have always wanted to be, you know, as a pilot, as a Marine, all that. I'm the one who wanted to be in the arena, not outside. Yep. So that's ultimately why I ran and you know, I have to take take what happened. Well, and I think what's so hard about running for public office and that particular arena is in, let's, let's say you are an athlete, you can, tune, you can tune out the rest of the arena. It's not important to the effects of the field. But, like, you really can't if you're a public servant. You have to think about what people think about you. Like, it's part of the job. Like, you have to you have to be concerned with people's opinion of you, but, like, not too concerned. It's a very difficult line to walk, I think, in just my small local race, to be worried about what people think about you but not take it personally. Right. It's like a Zen master level skill set. It is, and the, and then when you add in the factor, unfortunately, of, of a lot of lies, mm-hmm. um, you know, particularly from the other side, mm-hmm. um, and I, I call them that because there's no other word to, 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 you know, people actually now sometimes want to criticize me. Well, well, you ran a negative campaign because you called your opponent a liar in the debate. I'm like, well, yeah. When you lied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of did. Um, but I think that, that that's very frustrating because it's very hard to combat, you know, mistruths and, and when one side just doesn't care about the truth anymore. It's only what is effective, what is going to be, what words am I going to use that will be effective against this person, no matter whether they're true yep. or not. Um, what fears can I trigger? Right. It's, it's hard because, you know, you, you, you're fighting that and... Um, my hope was that people would see through that, and I think many, many did, mm-hmm. and some did not. Yeah. So the other thing that I think is so hard about it is that the trophy, the game is not over, right? Word. It's that it, it's that you now have to go. If if you've run on just what is effective to win this game, then what do you govern with? Mm. And I wonder what you heard as you were campaigning that had you gone into Congress would have really been top of mind for you as you, as you started governing. Yeah. I ran the campaign and, and everything that I, I did was something I believed in. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was very confident in the fact that, you know, had I been elected, I could continue doing that. I never had to compromise and never did compromise on anything I truly believed. I definitely learned a lot of lessons and, um, and you know, We'll see. We'll see what happens next. Okay. Well, thank you for getting in the arena. Yes, thank yeah. you for being in the arena. Well, I, I appreciate that. And um, my hope is that, that more people do it, mm-hmm. more good people do it, because um, our country still needs it. Yeah. You know, we just had one election. This is, this is um, we need consistency mm-hmm. with 
um, good candidates and uh, good people to sort of bring us, our country, back um, to where it, where it needs to be. We're so happy to have Mary Throne back with us. You might remember that we spoke with Mary during her run for governor in Wyoming. Mary, thanks for being back here. We would love for you to just give us kind of an update since the last time we talked. The update is I, I didn't succeed, but I have no regrets, I guess would be the best way to put it. I love it. That's a good high-level summary. <laughs> <laughs> how How did the election results come out? Were they about what you expected as far as sort of turnout and all that? Or did you see some um, positive trends you didn't expect? You know, un- unfortunately, I think that D.C. sort of tribalism, R.D., whatever you want to call it, has affected Wyoming. If you look at the Democratic Party's results across the state, we really only did well in two counties, although we did pick up, and this is great, this is an excellent development, picked up a legislative seat on the Wind River Reservation, which was a a seat that should be held by a member of, of one of our tribes. And I think the organizing efforts we did there helped increase increase turnout. You know, so there are things that we can, whoops, sorry, there are things we can build on. Good. You said you had no regrets. So tell us about that. What did you really enjoy and learn through this process? Well, I learned a lot about the state. You know, I felt like I knew a lot about the state, except being in the legislature is always a little bit of a of a cocoon. Um, in and of itself, focused a lot on the nuts and bolts of the legislature and don't actually sort of go out and talk to people across the state. You see the ones who come in front of you. So it was just eye-opening to, to get out into all of the communities and all corners of the state in a different way. I just really enjoyed it. see a lot of potential for the state. You know, I learned a lot, and I think that, you know, what, what I learned... Uh, can still be valuable. You know, I'll just use it in a different way than if I were governor. Wyoming's, you know, such a small, friendly state. I, I feel pretty proud that the, the governor-elect and I kind of got Wyoming politics back to normal in some respects, uh, back to being like Wyoming politics, where it's just not as, as toxic. I think, uh, you know, we debated the issues and didn't engage in phony character attacks and different things like that. How did you do that? Was that a conscious agreement? I think it just because of, of who we are. I mean, it was a conscious choice on, on my part. <laughs> I had been attacked by the Republican Party before, not this race, but in my last legislative race. It was one of the reasons I got in because I felt like the Wyoming Republican Party had gotten pretty nasty. (laughs) You know, that's not who Mark Gordon is. Mm. And I think it's just who we are. We've also known each other for a while. I couldn't tell you exactly how long. (laughs) It's Wyoming. So you said that you plan to use what you've learned in different ways. What's next for you? What do you think? How are you going to translate some of your lessons and experiences from this race? So I looked at the the national map on election night. I feel like Democratic Party, and I'm, I am a Democrat, has 
not learned how to speak to states like Wyoming. I mean, if you if you looked at you know the map, uh, you know John Tester won in Montana. Um, I had a friend visiting me from Montana, so we were <laughs> stayed up late on uh, election night to see uh, you know what was going to happen there. The map is red, mm-hmm. and I think the National Democrats need to be. I think uh, cognizant of the good and the bad news from the wonderful success of the midterms. Uh, they need they need to listen to people like me, frankly, and not write off chunks of the country, which is, I think, what's happening. I, I'll just take this opportunity to say something that frustrated me when I watched the TV appearance with President Trump and. Leader Schumer and Leader Pelosi is that at one point, Senator Schumer said, oh, he's bragging because he picked up Indiana and North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I, it was one of those screaming at my TV moments. <laughs> I'm like, that's why people like me can't win. <laughs> yeah. Because we've we've lost sight of some, and I, and I don't know what the answer is, but I would certainly like to spend some, some time working on... Um, you know, policies that really help rural and Midwestern and Western places uh, that, you know, the Democrats just can't win anymore. In Sweetwater County, which is Southwest Wyoming, uh, the Wyoming Democrats still hold three, four legislative seats, one state Senate seat and three House seats. But the three House seats we held we're unopposed. <laughs> and uh, the Senate, the one Senate seat we held, held was not um, up this year, but the other Senate seat we lost. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic County Sheriff lost, and they didn't elect any county commissioners. And Sweetwater County is a union town that used to be, you know, one of the reliable Democratic counties in the state. And then a tremendous Democratic female legislator in Natrona County, uh, which is Casper, the middle part of the state, lost. You know, we really need to look at how we how we can win in um, in parts of the country that aren't on the, aren't on the coast and aren't major urban areas. Amen to that. What do you think that looks like, Mary? You know, that's a good question. I think, you know, certainly in uh, Wyoming, it's... Uh, it's the classic false dichotomy of, uh, you know, the environment versus the jobs. Um, you know, the idea that everybody with a D after their name is is out to, you know, shut down the energy industry in Wyoming, which is where our jobs and our money <laughs> come from. But I think it's also about, you know, developing other other parts of the of the rural West, you know, using technology and other outdoor recreation opportunities, but presenting those opportunities in a different way. I think there are a lot of, necessarily you could call them millennials, but 30-somethings who've landed in Wyoming or from Wyoming. And, you know, they have a lot of entrepreneurial energy and and creativity, and they're not necessarily um, partisan. I think tapping into them and 
helping them implement their ideas. I mean, I just, I was not entrepreneurial in my 30s. I'm probably not entrepreneurial in my 50s, but I appreciate <laughs> the, the energy and the and the risk-taking. I guess I've just done it in different ways. I think we need to um, to develop those talents. I think that's a really encouraging answer because one of the things that we've been talking about as we've had discussions with women who ran for office this year is just how much of this is about policy versus almost something as crass as brand. And mm-hmm. and so to hear that you think that there is room for people to move based on policy in any direction, I think, is a really encouraging sentiment. Yeah, well, I mean, I have to stay optimistic. It's not always easy, though, so we appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, get ready for Christmas at the same time. <laughs> Well, we will let you do that. We're so grateful that you spent this time with us and we'd love for you to stay in touch as you think about your next steps. And we really are interested in your ideas, especially around energy and the environment. So please let us know if you'd like to chat again. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks so much for reaching out. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, 
has revolutionized the filtered showerhead. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. We are thrilled to have Stephanie Rose Spaulding back with us on Pantsuit Politics. Stephanie, tell us about your race in Colorado. Give us an update from the last time you were here. Well, of course, Election Day happened on November 6th. And while it did not go the way that we had hoped, it was still a very successful campaign. We were able to garner about 126,000 votes as the Democratic nominee. And historically, in terms of raw numbers, it's the most that any Democrat has gotten in this district. Lovely. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Stephanie, I also lost my re-election campaign, and I had a very wise person say one of the first things to look back and ask yourself is, what lessons did I learn? What lessons did you learn from this experience? One, that I am certainly not at the end of my career in Mm. regards to public service that what was just a spark has really blossomed into a flame. Like I'm even more committed to the work that has to be done in this district. I see it a lot clearer now than what I did when I first put my name in the ring. Additionally, that there's so much work in terms of motivating people out of a space of apathy. And I was grateful mm-hmm. to be able to, to do some of that heavy lifting in this race. And I think that people have very different expectations for a Democratic candidate running in this district from now you know, and forever. And that was a blessing. Again, I'm also grateful for learning that I am most definitely a person of character and it doesn't matter the amount of stress or how much stretching that has to be done, I am going to remain committed to my values and who I am as a person. This was probably the most taxing experience of my life, but I'm glad that I I came out of it as a whole person, that I did not sacrifice my character in the process. As you've looked at those numbers, are many of the the new Democratic votes in your district first-time voters? Do you, do you have a sense of how many people have been out of the process that came in because of your campaign? What is probably more significant is that we were able, again, in terms of raw votes, we were able to get more individuals who were not Democrats to support us. There are about 90,000 to you know 95,000 registered Democrats in the 5th Congressional District which means that out of 126,000, because we didn't have 100% Democrats voting, that many of those voters were unaffiliates and Mm -hmm. Republican voters who supported me as a candidate. 
And that's probably the most significant. We didn't have a tremendous turnout of uh, first-time voters. And that's something that we can continue to build on in this district for the future. But it is, again, it is a testament to the kind of campaign that we ran to be able to see the number of unaffiliated and Republican voters who were willing to vote for us. There was one county in our district that completely flipped from being a traditionally red district to a blue to a blue district. So we were excited as well about that. That's awesome. The big question for 2020, I think, is what do you think, what part of your message or part of your candidacy connected with that that type of voter? I think that so many people just were tired of the status quo and want someone who is genuinely connected to the district. That is in part what we heard over and over again in spite of what the issues are, whether it's around healthcare or environment, the economy and housing, they want someone who actually is coming back, having conversations with the people of this district. And so being present is going to really push the envelope for 2020. And we were able to do that in ways that, again, this person was a six-person, a six-term incumbent, and he himself had to run a different campaign in Mm. order to match our energy. And I've been able to see even post, well, he hasn't moved from the right, and he might have moved a little bit further to the right, but he has been more present, whether that's online, in telephone, town halls, Twitter, or whatever. He has had to become more present for the constituents of this district because that was a grave criticism. Mm. I'm sure that you have a lot of great stories. What do you think, what stands out to you as a moment, especially when you were talking with someone who's not a Democrat, as a, a moment when you felt like you really hit that connection with the person? There are so many. I think that the most significant moment for me throughout the campaign was we got endorsed by Ben and Jerry, the Uh owners, the founders, Ben Cohen and, and Jerry, not the corporation. So we got their endorsement along with Move On. And so Ben Cohen came out to do an ice cream giveaway. And there was a mother who came to the ice cream social and she came with her child and her child was not older than four and wanted to introduce themselves and to share their pronouns and to and ask me directly, are you a person that supports who I am? Because again, this child is transgender. And I think that was the most significant because of the history and the narrative around El Paso County, Colorado, Colorado Springs, and being extremely intolerant of people in certain communities to have a four-year-old child look me in the eye and ask, are you okay with who I am? That for me is the future of what this district could possibly be. And to have someone to respond to this child and say, I love you. And I want the best in the world for who you are in your 
your whole being, that was probably the most significant moment on the campaign trail for me. Again, to have to look this four-year-old child in the face and tell them you are safe, you are loved, and you too belong to this community. I love that. So Stephanie, you said that your spark has become a flame. What's next for you? Right now, I am working with our attorney general elect on his transition team to make sure that he has the the people around him to help him do the work of the AG's office the best. Um, So right now, I'm volunteering in that capacity. And I don't know for certain what office that I will be running for in the future, but I know that I will definitely run again. Well, that is awesome to hear. And I know many of our listeners are going to be inspired to hear that. You mentioned that this is the most taxing experience that you've ever gone through and and also that you are ready to do it again. So I wonder if you could speak to our listeners who can't imagine doing this, but but feel that call toward it. What What would you say to encourage them? It's the classic narrative of be the change, right? I witness so much about what needs to change in our district. And even though it drained a lot out of me, it also gave me life. And I refuse to go backwards, right? I refuse to to become silent when I know so much, when I can see the kind of suffering and the kind of issues that communities are facing. We have to continue to do the work. And I don't want to leave that burden when I think, again, on the, the that four-year-old child or those who are not able to vote right now. I do not want to leave them the burden of having to do the work that we could have done. And so that is why I am so committed to continue to stay in public service, to running again even if it means lack of sleep or using one's own resources, it has just made me that much more committed to the work that's before us. I love that. Thank you so much for coming back to talk with us. I hope that this is one of many conversations we'll have with you over the course of your career. We, we love what you're doing and it's so nice to hear your voice again. Thank you. And so wonderful to hear both of you. And anytime, anytime that you all have time, I would love to continue the conversation. joining us as we continue to follow up with these fantastic women who ran and did our entire country and particularly their local communities a huge service by running for public office we'll have several more to share so we will be back in your ears on christmas day with a special episode in which we share the good news of 2018 didn't feel like there was a lot but we swear there is so we're going to be sharing some of the good news of 2018 and there will be a very special gift showing up in your podcast feed. We are sharing on Christmas Day the first chapter of our audiobook, and we hope you guys enjoy it. So between now and then, you can listen to episodes of The Nuanced Life where we're sharing awesome current commemorations. Follow us on social media. Um, We love getting your emails. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. 
which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 